0: Amen. Well, good morning. It's so good to see you. We're going to be at James chapter 4. We're going to finish chapter 4 today. Pastor Jim did such a good job last week. We're so thankful for him and his gifts. James 4. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we ask that you would continue to minister. Come on, church. Holy Spirit, we need your ministry in our hearts this morning. Stir us, convict us, We are clay on the potter's wheel this morning. Shape us, Lord, so that we might glorify Jesus in this region, in our families, Lord. We want to see the kingdom of God advanced here. And all darkness, all demonic powers and strategies crumble as Jesus is proclaimed. Use us, God. I want you, church, just to to pray that. Say, use me, Lord. Use me, Lord. Use us. In Jesus' name we pray. All the saints say amen. 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 Well, I've been studying the last couple weeks the life of Ambrose. Ambrose is one of the four um, church fathers, Latin church fathers. That would be uh, Ambrose, Augustine, uh, Gregory the Great, and Jerome are the four uh, doctors of the church, teachers uh, of the early church. Ambrose was born in, in 339 in a prestigious Christian family. So you think um, the Council of Nicaea is like 315. Uh, 339, he's born. His his father is a high political officer in Rome, in the Roman Empire. It's pretty rare to have a, a man. Ambrose's parents were Christians and grandparents were Christians. He was just thoroughly raised in a Christian family. Um, and his dad's a, a politician. His father dies in his teen years, and his family moves to Rome because his mom wants to make sure that the kids get a really good education. This point in history, um, Greek was already becoming a lost art. And so, um, like Augustine, for instance, uh, didn't really know Greek that well. But Ambrose was so thoroughly trained, educated. Uh, he was a, a master uh, in the Greek language. Now, Ambrose, like his father, wanted to follow his kind of father's footsteps and to pursue a... Um, A life in government. And so in Ambrose's early thirties, he actually becomes, um, the, the, the kind of governor of a region which included Milan. Milan was, at this point in history, more significant than Rome itself. Rome was, um, vulnerable from a military perspective. And so the Roman Empire was moving all of their kind of offices and things north towards Milan. And so in his thirties, Ambrose becomes the governor of Milan and is a crazy, crazy, um, smart and influential young politician. Now, what history says is that Ambrose, um, was, some even say that Ambrose was, uh, trained in the medical field. He was just smart in so many fields. And, um, as he's governing in Milan, if you think that the, the Council of Nicaea... Y'all listen to me because I'm going to make sense here in a second. If you think... I know you're like, what are you talking about? It, it's going somewhere. Um, the Council of Nicaea is 315. That was where the church was dealing with what's called the Arian heresy. Arianism teaches taught that... Essentially what Jehovah's Witnesses teach today. That Jesus was a lesser God with a little g. He was a created being, uh, a lesser God. Um, the true church always taught that Jesus was eternal. Jesus has no beginning. Jesus has no end. He is co-eternal, co-equal with the Father. Um, it was Arius who was propagating this teaching that Jesus was a lesser God. Now the Council of Nicaea in 315 is where um, we have Athanasius going toe-to-toe with uh, Arian. And the church established in the year 315 the orthodox doctrine that we've believed all along, that Jesus is fully God, period. Okay, Any anybody who knocks on your door and says that Jesus became a God, run them off. Anybody who knocks on your door and says, you can become a God, please shut the door in their face. Or argue them down, I don't care. Um, that's not the teaching of the church. Jesus has always been God. Now, in 315, the church decided that, but uh, Ambrose came to power, uh, came to leadership some 50 years later, uh, 330, uh, a, a little bit later. And there was what kind of leftover Arians in particular in this time, Arians had high political office. So the church declared Arianism is heretical. We will not teach that Jesus was a created being all of the church agreed, but there were still this sect of heretics who were, who were largely holding power because of their, their, their prestige and their political offices. And so the Bishop in Milan was actually an Arian. Now, the church in Milan hated this. They were so frustrated that they had an Arian bishop, but the but the politicians were Arian, and so they had no way to get him out. Well, when uh, his name was Oxentinius, when he died, the Arian bishop died. Milan goes buck wild, crazy. Okay, they are just having total meltdown. Now Ambrose is the governor. And so they're going to have, the way that the church operated at this point is there were electors who were going to elect a new bishop, and the electors were in a church discussing who was going to be the next bishop, and all of the Arians rushed the church, and and a large portion of the Orthodox Christians rushed the church where the electors were uh, getting ready to elect the new bishop, and they were just screaming, shouting at each other's throats. And Ambrose goes because, again, Ambrose is the governor. And if the church goes into riot, the Roman army is about to fall down on them hard. And so in the middle of this total chaos, everybody's at at each other's throats screaming and shouting. Ambrose finally stands up. He's a young man. He's incredibly articulate, is known for being so articulate. And he was also very respectful. He had been respectful for years. Um, so everyone loved him. He was, he was just a gracious, respectful man. Ambrose stands up with all of his wisdom and all of his intellect, and he starts arguing. If you continue towards this riot, the Roman army is going to come crush us. You must learn to reason with one another. You've got to find unity. You need to have debate, public debate. You need to argue your case, but you cannot turn to violence or the government's going to crush us. So Ambrose stands up, gives this speech. It's kind of this beautiful, heroic moment. Everyone silences, and this is what church history says. The crowd hushes. And then church history says a young child in the room started to chant, Ambrose for bishop. Ambrose for bishop. Ambrose for bishop. Now, Ambrose had every intention of being a politician. He literally said, I want to retire young, and I want to study philosophy. You know what that means? I want to retire young and live in books. I don't want anything to do with public life. And and the crowd starts to sh- chant. Both sides, Ambrose for bishop. Ambrose for bishop. History tells us that Ambrose, he hid. He literally ran and hid. Now, there was a strange, it would be strange to us, but in church history at this point, um, Constantine, for instance, was baptized on his deathbed. Because... There was this kind of teaching that, um, eh, how do you say? When you were baptized, there was a cleansing and you don't want to be baptized and then commit sins later and you might need to be re-cleansed. There was, you know how, just, it was a bad teaching that eventually Augustine would kind of overturn. But at this point, Ambrose hadn't even been baptized. So you have a man who has no training theologically. He, he's not with the seminary. He's never been a, you understand that the bishop oversees all of the pastors. He's never been a pastor. And they're about to make him the boss of all the pastors. So Ambrose runs and hides when the emperor. So for a bishop to be elected, um, he would need to be approved in Rome. And then the the emperor also was going to have to approve. Why? Because Ambrose worked for the emperor. He was a government official. When the emperor heard that the crowd was shouting Ambrose for bishop, the emperor said, this is the will of the Lord. So Ambrose, in a matter of two weeks, goes from being a quiet, well-respected, well-educated uh, politician, governor, to being the bishop of the most influential city in the Roman Empire. He wasn't even baptized, so he had to get baptized, ordained, laid hands on him, and they thrust him right into to be the bishop of Milan again, the most important uh, region. In, in in the matter of two weeks. Now, you can have a plan for your life. The moment you said yes to Jesus, your plans don't matter. They really don't. Okay, and so Ambrose thought that he was being trained in Greek because he was one day going to sit in his room alone with Aristotle and Plato and argue metaphysics. But God allowed him in his youth to be trained sufficiently in Greek because one day he was going to sit in his room with the writings of the apostle Paul. Right? Like he, he thinks he's being trained in oratory skill because it's a a Greek art that needs to be, that needs to be learned in order to lead in government, but he's being trained in oratory skill because he's going to be the best preacher that the church has known to date. God, it, it doesn't matter. It does not matter what Ambrose wants to be or thinks he should be or plans to be. All that matters is what does God say Ambrose should be. Now, Ambrose is, again, going to be one of the the first church doctors, so he's going to be an incredible theologian. But you remember what Ambrose was really known for was um, St. Monica coming to Ambrose and saying, I have a son named Augustine who I'm desperate for him to be saved. And Augustine gets saved largely because he's heard... Not not only that Ambrose was a great theologian, but everyone knew that Ambrose was the best orator around. And so even unbelievers were coming to hear his gifts. And when Ambrose stands and preaches the gospel, he's preaching the gospel, St. Augustine caves and gives his life to Christ under the ministry of the governor. Now, as we turn to James today, James is going to argue very simply that you are a creature you're a creature. And as a creature, you are most satisfied and fulfilled. You are, you are most alive when you operate in a creaturely manner. Meaning, you are not your own God. You don't get to tell tomorrow what tomorrow will bring. You're not in charge of tomorrow. You have no authority over tomorrow. So James is going to confront the church. Today, we'll read, and he's confronting some who are boasting of what they will do. They're making great, grand plans about how they're going to make money and how they're going to get rich. And we're going to travel here and then travel there. And James is going to say, you don't own tomorrow. You don't belong to yourself. Now, let me skip all the notes here because I didn't read them. James chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 13. You guys ready? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all of this boasting, all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. James opens again with this line, Come now, you who say. And we've noted so far in the book of James, that especially as we got to chapter 3, James is getting a little bit confrontational. And so, remember in James 3.13, he said this, who is wise and who is understanding among you? And he's kind of calling out from the congregation, those who are boasting about their own wisdom. And he's saying, come up front and let's have a conversation here. We're going to turn to James chapter 5 next week and he'll open with, come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the misery is coming upon you. So he's continually using this language that's calling people out. Come now. Who are you? Stand up, give account. So today he says, come now you who say. First, in our Western individualistic prosperity mindsets, we have a a real problem with anyone confronting us. And I want you to know that the apostles believe that preaching and teaching should be confrontational. You hear James already. He's, he's not trying to make you feel better about yourself. We are literally, I'm not exaggerating. Literally, our preachers, our pastors are trained to try, you know, when they, they teach us. When you leave church, when the, when the congregation leaves the church, they should feel encouraged. James wants you to feel encouraged to quit sinning. Okay? And so, right off the bat, I just want us to, to note... The, the 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 tone of the apostle james is you who are living in sin in this area i want you to come up front and we're going to hash this out and the church i am um, we dedicated uh, one of our babies this week and there there were several things that we did this week that there was just such a unity in our congregation i love 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 you our people i love our church i really do love. but as i i walked away from um from a situation that was beautiful and I was just so thankful for the church. And I felt the Lord just prompt my heart that the unity that we experience is largely because we've embraced holiness. Okay, holiness, when a church embraces holiness, that means we are pursuing Jesus. We're willing to repent, apologize, own our sin. We are growing in Christ's likeness. And, and when the church pursues holiness individually and corporately, then there's a great anointing. And unity. But in order to have that, you've got to be willing to be challenged. And we've got to be willing, when I pray, God, we are clay on the potter's wheel, what do we mean? We mean everything in here, God, that doesn't please you, throw it away. I'm willing to change. I want to be molded. And the beauty of this church and the anointing of this church is in this that we've been willing to be molded, we've been willing to repent. These altars have known a lot of tears and you've owned your sin and I've owned my sin and we've confessed it and we've moved forward. But in order to continue to move forward, we're going to have to allow the scriptures to tell us, to, to read us, to challenge us. We can never embrace a posture that says, Caleb or, or Brad, whoever's in the pulpit, we want you to make us feel better about us. We've got to say, Holy Spirit, through your word, shape me. Shape me. And and so right right away we notice that the Bible is confrontational. Deal with it. Right? I I ugh. one of the one of the leading teachers, pastors of our day, made a comment once. He said, I I shouldn't even say this, you know who I'm talking about. He said, I don't talk about sin. I don't know a page of the Bible that doesn't talk about sin. If you say you don't talk about sin, you don't talk about the Bible. Shoot, yeah. (laughs) So we start on a confrontational tone. Come, you who say. He calls their error sin, because he says, for you who know what to do and don't do it, that's sin. And the error that he's highlighting is this error that says, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a town, and we will sell, invest, buy, trade. And James said, most scholars believe um, almost every commentary suggests that in the city, in the markets, there was this commerce that happened. And they were probably, some even think that maybe James walked through the market and heard Christians planning and plotting for how they were going to move, maybe from the church of Jerusalem, they're going to move to Rome or Milan or Ephesus, and they're going to buy some uh, cloth and sell this cloth. And they're plotting and scheming on how they're going to make money. And James says, who do you think you are? they've, they've, there's kind of this, um, oh, you know, when you get a call from someone you went to high school with that you haven't talked to in 40 years and they say, um, I've got a business opportunity I want to talk to you about. (laughs) You look like the kind of person who wants to be rich quick. I'm like, oh my gosh, what, what gave it away? (laughs) How did you know? (laughs) (laughs) There's this kind of, we see it (laughs) it. We see it in these kind of pyramid schemes, this kind of attitude of, we're going to get rich quick if you go through this hoop and jump through here. And James is saying, I saw this take root in the church. And James is saying, stop it. Stop it. Proverbs 27.1 says, do not boast about tomorrow for you don't know what tomorrow may bring. You don't know what tomorrow may bring. You don't own tomorrow. So, what James is really getting at is, yes, we'll talk about the fact that they are lusting after money. That's part of this. It's actually a secondary part of it. The primary sin here is James is saying, you think you own your life. You think you are the God of tomorrow. And James is saying, you are a created being, a creature. Your life is but missed. One car pull out in front of you, you could be gone tomorrow. And so, quickly, I want to address the way in which the triune God calls us to live under his lordship. How do we live as created beings under the triune God? What is James really talking about? One. Say one. Oh my gosh, you guys are good. One. Father God is the sovereign over the universe. The scripture says in Psalm 139, verse 16, Your eyes, speaking of God, saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. What does that say? That while I was unformed, God has a book in which every day of my life has been written about. He has planned and ordained the days that I'm to live. Father God, from eternity past, is omniscient. He sees, knows, decrees all things. And you say, well, how is God sovereign over all the days of my life, and yet I'm responsible, and yet I have some sense of personal responsibility? I have no idea. I just know it's true. I don't know. I don't know how God is sovereignly governs all the days of my life yet I'm responsible. I make decisions and I spend money and I go here and go there. I don't know how all of that works, but I do know this is a biblical truth. God has numbered my days. God has the hairs of my head numbered. His thoughts towards me are vast and endless. He sees and knows all things. He formed me and planned and decreed my life. My life The scriptures say that it is appointed a day for every man to die. God knows the very hour when I'll breathe my last breath. He already knows it. I am to live submitted to, resting in the decrees and the plans of God. Thankful for every morning I get up with my heart beating. Fully acknowledging that he's the one that makes this thing beat. Right? The the arrogance that these men are living in, they're acting like they sustain their own life. They're acting like tomorrow belongs to them. We are called to rest in the truth that God sees the beginning to the end. And the scripture says in Romans chapter eight, that he works all things together, all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. My speech, my plans, the way that I organize, the way that I think about tomorrow there must be a submission of my own agenda to this truth that Father God has decreed my days. And the moment he decided in eternity past that I'll stop breathing, I'm going to stop breathing. I love an old missionary who used to say that as long as my work is not finished, I am immortal. You can't kill me until my work is finished. God decreed. So, firstly, we need to submit ourselves to the sovereign hand of Father God, that my life is organized, laid out, planned for by God from eternity past. Two, I submit myself to the Lordship of the Son. Meaning, in Jesus' life, he gave me a pattern of how to live, right? Jesus uh, taught us to care for the poor. Jesus taught us to pray for the sick. Jesus taught us humility and meekness and graciousness. So, one, I see a pattern for my life in the lordship of Jesus. Lordship means what? He's your Lord. He's not your buddy. It means you obey Him. So, when I read of Jesus' life, I find a lordship pattern of how I'm supposed to live. So, I don't get to say, I'm going to go here, and I'm going to go there, and I'm going to spend and buy. I'm going to start my own Pyramid scheme and and then buy Amway. He, my life must be submitted to the pattern which Lord Jesus laid out for me. One, two. Jesus gave us a commission. Go. You are supposed to go. Make disciples of the nations, of the ethnos, the ethnic nation, the people groups, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. So for these men and women in the church in Jerusalem to say, tomorrow we're going to go to Ephesus, and, and then we'll go to Laodicea, and we're going to make all of this money. They are coming out from under the lordship command of Jesus, which says, don't live your life based on storing up wealth. Moth and rust will destroy it. Build your life making disciples of Jesus rather than sitting around plotting church about how you can make wealth for yourselves plot on how you can make more disciples for Christ Jesus and bring the kingdom Amen. there's 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 n- nothing wrong with planning having a calendar all of those things are good but G- but James is saying here make sure your calendar your plans your agenda your dreams are submitted first to the lordship of Jesus what makes your heart pump cannot be more money must be more souls. Third, so Father God decreed my days from start to finish. I, I can't bank on tomorrow. I could walk out of here and get smacked by a car. My heart could fail in any moment. I don't live as if tomorrow is mine. I live thankful to Father God and every day He gives me. Two, I have a pattern to follow, the life of Jesus. And I have a commission to obey, based on the lordship of Jesus, to make disciples and to live for the kingdom. Three, Christians are to live their lives following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. This means you should wake up every day and say, Holy Spirit, where am I going? What do you have for me today? And James is saying, if you are living your life with this rigid schedule that you've laid out based on making money, when and where are you making room for the leadership of the Holy Spirit? When and where? And You can say the same to churches. Churches have great mission statements, vision statements that we all learn from the business world and how to articulate ourselves well. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but somewhere in the mission statement should be follow the Holy Ghost. Somewhere should be We are going to pray and seek and fast and listen. So if Jesus has given us a pattern and then a commission, the Holy Spirit, God incarnate, or God sent to us, the Holy Spirit is going to lead us day by day on specifically, how is my life going to obey God? How does my life come into alignment with the the leadership of God? The Spirit is going to poke you. You're going to wake up in the morning with someone on your heart and, and you could say, Oh, Holy Spirit, I got a flight to catch. And the Holy Spirit might say, No, you got a call to make. There are going to be days where you wake up and just sense, don't do business with that person. Who's your, who's your leader? The, the church of Christ, we, to, be, to belong to the church of Christ, demands of you, that you do not, you do not ordain, you don't decree, you don't have the final say about a single hour of your life. You seek God's face. You seek God's face. I hope to pastor this church until, um, not the day I die, because I do want to retire, that's a goal of mine. Um, the fish bite better when you retire. I don't know why, but I've, I've heard. Um, I, I I sincerely, I mean this. I hope to pastor this church for the rest of my vocational career. I don't belong to myself though. And so it's, it's okay to have, I, I, I hope to, and that's why James says, you should say, God willing. God willing, I'll pastor this church for the rest of my career. As long as the elders don't hate me you, you God, God willing. And, and if I could just nudge us church, when you talk to your grandkids, when you talk to your kids, we need to learn to ask questions like this. We always say, what do you want to be when you grow up? My kids say Spider-Man. It's a good look. We, we need to, we need to learn to ask, what do you think God's calling you to? That's how the Christian church is. We've got to talk to the generations. What do you sense the Holy Spirit is, is made you for and is leading you to? And, and in that language, we're encouraging our generations to seek God and not to live as if they are their own master. Finally, just to pass quickly. Notice again, he says, your life is a vapor. Do you know what that means, vapor? That means it, it don't last long. Here today, gone tomorrow, this is a scriptural principle like the flowers of the field, beautiful, dead. <laughs> My wife can kill anything, any plan. She can. The, the Bible wants you to know that life is short. You're not promised another hour. That you cannot live with this kind of arrogant confidence that nothing can break you. Oh, one little virus will break you. One little car wreck could break you. Live thankful, James says. And then watch the positive. Rather than saying, I will or I plan to or I am going to, James says, rather say, if it's the Lord's will, we shall. So he's not saying you can't keep a calendar. He's not saying as men of the home, you have a biblical responsibility to provide financially for your family. Yes, you better have some kind of agenda. But he's saying, make sure your plans, your calendar, your agenda is submitted to the will of the Lord. And make sure that your, the posture, the spiritual tenor of your life in your home and our church is, if the Lord wills, then we will. And he says, if you know this and you don't do it, it's sin. Make sure you're not living as if you're God. You're created. You are a created being. You are most fulfilled, satisfied. You will live in joy when you acknowledge that fact and rest fully in God's sovereignty. You will be most fulfilled and satisfied when you follow the pattern of Jesus and obey the commands of Jesus. You will find life to its fullest when you wake up every day and say, Holy Spirit, lead me. Holy Spirit, lead me. Now, Ambrose says, I'm going to be a philosopher and read books. And God says, no, you're not. And two weeks later, he's leading the church, man. Getting after it. In a a moment, God has the right to change everything. And you have got to live with your hands open. You guys hear me? Why don't you stand to your feet? We'll get ready to close.